0: Welcome to week two of our series, What Kind of God? This series is going to take us through the attributes of God, the character of God, His nature. And the reason this is important is because of everything that we're going through right now as a nation, as, as a world, as we go through this pandemic and everything related to it. So we're going to be looking at the attributes of God. We introduced it last week, talking about the circumstances in which we find ourselves, and how easy it is to judge God based on our current circumstances. We look at things going on around us, whether they're personal, relational, financial, or international. And we begin to wonder, where is God? What is he doing? Why why isn't he stepping in? Why isn't he fixing this problem? And we have to step back and realize that as Christians, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ Who have a saving relationship with Him and therefore a restored relationship with God the Father, we have a different attitude, a different perspective that we're to bring to this. And we're to see our circumstances through the lens of God's nature by what we know about Him. But as we said last week, it's important that we know Him and understand Him. And so that's why we're going to go through these characteristics. Now, This week, we're gonna talk about his immutability. That's a big word, it's a doctrinal word. And hopefully by the time we're done, you'll understand more fully what it means. Now, back in 1964, there was an individual who wrote these words. His name was Bob Dylan. Now, Bob Dylan wrote a song that you're probably familiar with, regardless of your age. And in that song, he wrote these lyrics, the times they are a changing. Now that was prophetic, so to speak. Uh, It was true then, the 60s were a time of change, a turbulent change in the nation and in the world. Well, we could say the very same thing today. Uh, These are unprecedented times, as we talked about last week. Uh, These are uncharted waters. Things are happening around us and to us and to those we know and love that are like nothing we've ever seen before. Uh, We're still quarantined. As a matter of fact, many of you have probably put on the quarantine 19. You've put on weight. You've eaten more than you need to eat because you're bored, because you've got nothing else to do. But these are changing times. And so in a way, Bob Dylan was prophetic. These are times of uncertainty. Now, what do we do with that? What do we do with these times that are changing, these times that are unstable and uncertain? Well, everything around us is changing all the time. We're changing. Um, You're getting older. I'm getting older. Some of us are getting larger. Some of us are exercising and getting thinner, but we're always changing. Our children grow up. We grow older. Um, Some of us are growing smarter during these days of quarantine. Some of us are getting dumber because we're watching way too much TV, but we're always changing. You see, in these days, we've seen the economy change. We've seen our finances changed. Some have lost their jobs. Some of us have taken pay cuts. Um, as I shared last week, my wife and I both contracted COVID-19 and were sick for two weeks, but we're now well. We have uh, We were retested, and then we, we've, we're COVID-free. But we went through a period of change, of uncertainty. Uh, our schedules, schedules have changed. We're not able, not able to shop when we want to shop or where we want to shop communication has changed. We're all now Zooming. Uh, I, I read something the other day to where there's now something called Zoom Brain, where people who do Zoom are having their brains affected because it's so different from the way we normally communicate. So there's all kinds of change going on. And and what we have to ask is, is this the new normal? Uh, I was talking to one of my brothers the other day, and we were discussing that very fact. Is this the new normal? Is this the way life's always going to be? I can't answer that question. Um, I don't believe it is, but I think we're going to see change for a long period of time. And therefore, we have to wrestle with, are these changes permanent or not? And for how long? And how long will we have to put up with them? Will we ever get our old lives back? See, we all want that. We all want to go back to the way it was, the good old days of three weeks, four weeks ago. But we don't know what that means. Even as they begin to loosen some of the restrictions, it's probably not going to look like it used to look. And so again, we live in these times of uncertainty. Now listen to this passage. This is from Psalm 13, verses one through three. Listen to what the psalmist writes. How long, Lord, will you continue to ignore me? How long will you pay no attention to me? How long must I worry and suffer in broad daylight? How long will my enemy gloat over me? Look at me, answer me, O Lord my God. Now there's a lot packed into these verses, but you get the spirit of the psalmist as he calls out and cries out to God, how long? Now last week we talked about the fact that these circumstances, these times, raise all kinds of questions in our hearts and minds. We, We say why, we say why now, why me? And as the psalmist, we say, how long? How long, O Lord? You see, as I I, I said last week, we're, we're uncomfortable with uncertainty. We don't like not having answers. We don't like not having a solution to our problem. And so we cry out, O Lord, how long? And here's what the psalmist is doing and what we do as Christians. We demand answers and we crave resolution. You see, you have to look closely at what the psalmist is saying. He's demanding an answer, and he's craving a resolution to his problem. And he wants things to go back to the way they used to be. He wants normalcy. Well, so do we. And that's natural, and that's normal. See, we have these deep desires for the way it was four weeks ago, five weeks ago, last year. But see, what we have to understand is that God has a greater desire for you and I. And it's part of the reason we're doing this study, that we might know him better. You see, we talked about that last week. In Exodus and in the book of Ezekiel, God said, and they will know that I am the Lord. See, he desires that his creation, especially the apex of his creation, mankind would know him as the one true God, that we would understand him more clearly and take what we know of Him and what we understand of Him and apply it to the situations we go through in our lives, just like the one we're going through right now. And the result of that is that we might trust Him more fully and more willingly, no matter what comes our way. See, the psalmist was going through difficulty. It's the reason he wrote the psalm. It's the reason he's crying out. It's the reason he reason he's demanding a resolution to his problem because he doesn't like his current circumstances. So what does he say? He says, Lord, look at me, fix your eyes on me, see what's going on. He demands God's attention. Now, the reason he does that is because he doubts that God is aware. He doesn't think God knows. He's not fully cognizant of everything going on in the psalmist's life. So he says, look at me, look at my situation. And it's as if he wants God to acknowledge his predicament. You know, when you go through difficulty, when you're having a bad day, you want others to recognize you're having a bad day. Now, I'm the king of this. When I was uh, much younger and my children were still at home and uh, I would come home from work, and I, if I'd had a bad day, I wanted everybody to know I had a bad day. And my children learned to recognize the way I walked into the house. And they could tell if dad was approachable or non-approachable because I wanted them to know that I was in a bad mood because I'd had a bad day because I'd been stuck in traffic commuting from Dallas back to Arlington. See, we want God to acknowledge our predicament. And so like the psalmist, we say, look at me, can't you see? Don't you understand? Have you not noticed? Look at me. Then he says, answer me. See, this is kind of interesting because the psalmist knew what he wanted. He would already asked and he wants an answer, a very specific answer. He's not wanting God to give his answer. He wants God to give what he wants. So he demands answer me. But here's the deal. The psalmist, just like you and me, is oblivious to what he really needs. There are times that I go to God and I demand what I think I need, and God wants to tell me lovingly, patiently, you have no clue what it is you need. And so we can, we can learn from the psalmist as he says, look at me, answer me, give me what I need. But the truth is he has no idea what he needs. But God does. See, the psalmist wanted resolution to a problem. But here's the fantastic thing about our God. He longed for a relationship with his child. You know, as we go through these kinds of difficulties, times of uncertainty, we want God to resolve the problem. But sometimes God wants to leave us in the problem that we might grow to know him and develop a deeper relationship with him. That they might know that I am the Lord. That's his heart's desire and oftentimes it is contrary to our own. It's not what we want. See, we looked at this verse last week. It's from the high priestly prayer of Jesus, prayed in the garden on the night he was betrayed. And he prayed to God the Father. He said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. That's the essence of what it means to have eternal life, life everlasting. An everlasting, unending relationship with God, the Father and Jesus Christ, the Son, that they might know you. That's the desire of God for you and I as his children. And see, our circumstances are opportunities to get to know God better. It's interesting how we want to remove the circumstance. And by doing so, we really remove the opportunity. Because it's in those moments of despair, of difficulty, that we realize just how much we need God. They're opportunities. You know, Andrew Murray lived a long, long time ago. And you're going to hear me quote a lot of people who are long gone because I, I want to honor that generation because of their wisdom, because of their insight. Now, listen to what he says. In times of trouble, say first... He brought me here. It is by his will I am in this straight. In that I will rest. Actually, he says it is by his will I am in this straight place. In that I will rest. Next, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace in this trial to behave as his child. You see what he's saying? God brought me here. Whatever your circumstance is, God brought you there. Why? Because God is sovereign. God is in control. So he brought you there. And then he says, and he will keep me there in his love. And we're going to talk later on about the love of God in times like these and the grace of God that he gives us in this trial to behave as a child. But he goes on and he says, then say he will make the trial a blessing teaching me lessons he intends for me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. And last say, in his good time, he can bring me out again. How and when, he knows. And the inference there is only God knows. Therefore say, I am here. Why? Because God brought me here. By God's appointment, his timing, his divine sovereign providential will, in his keeping, He will show me his grace and his love under his training, teaching me all the things he wants me to learn mostly about him during this time, and it will be for his time for as long as it needs to last for me to learn the lessons he wants me to learn. Those are profound words and they have to do with what we're going to talk about, but it all depends upon our knowledge of God how well we know him, because it's impossible to trust someone you don't know. You have to know God, understand God, in order to rest in God, his character, his nature, his attributes. So Andrew Murray was profound in his statement, but it's all based on what we know about God through the word of God. So when we go back to this question, what kind of God We can answer it because we have the word of God given to us, the revelation of God, where he reveals his nature to his children, to his creation. You see, he's the immutable God. Now, what does that mean? He's immutable. Listen to this. This is from Wayne Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. God is unchanging in his being, his perfections, his purposes, and his promises. Now, that's a very simple definition of immutability. Immutability is a a big word. It's a doctrinal word, but it simply means that God is unchanging. Now, how do we know this? Well, there's a number of passages we can turn to. Malachi 3.6 is one of them. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Now, this is a statement about God's faithfulness as compared to the unfaithfulness of the children of Jacob. You know, they've sinned against him. They've rebelled against him. And God could and would be righteous in consuming them. But he's faithful. He's unchanging. He says, I do not change. Therefore, you're not consumed because I've made a covenant promise to you. You see, God claims that he doesn't change. In James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, the father, our unchanging father who created all the lights in heavens, in the heavens, and he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Our God doesn't change. He's consistent. He's constant. So why is this important? Well, let's just think about the times in which we live. We live in a time of great change, and here we are talking about our God who never changes. You see, immutability is the negative of mutability. That's pretty obvious. But what's mutability? Well, mutability comes from a Latin word, a couple of Latin words, mutabilis, which is fickleness, somebody who is fickle and changing, constantly fluctuating in their character, and mutare, which is to change. So mutability has to do with change. Immutability, as it refers to God, has to do with The inability to change. God cannot, will not change. God's immutability simply means he is unchanging in his nature, in his character. It is who he is. The one who never changes. Which then can translate into his reliability, his dependability, and the fact that our God is totally unwavering. Everything about him is unwavering. So as we're surrounded with uncertainty, as we go through change, you know, we can go from good to bad. We can go from worse to better. We can go from better to worse. Our God remains the same. He's totally reliable. I remember a song we used to sing when I was growing up in the church, and and the, the lyrics are relevant to our discussion today. On Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand Now this is speaking of the second person of the trinity Jesus Christ our savior and lord He is unchanging He is solid rock I can stand on him because of his character And the same thing is true of God the Father They are both a solid rock in our lives And we are we are also told in Hebrews about Jesus that he is the same yesterday today and forever. He's unchanging. He's reliable. He's immutable. His character never changes. You see, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit provide you and I with solidity in the midst of all the uncertainty. There is nothing in this world you can count on. You can't count on good health forever. You can't count on long life forever. You can't count on the government. You can't count on your finances. You can't count on anything other than God, because he, the creator God who made all the universe is the only thing that is unchanging and totally reliable and perfect in all ways. So that's why this is so important. That's why we're talking about this. You see, in Isaiah chapter chapter 54, verse 10, it says, "'For the mountains may move, and the hills disappear, "'everything change around you. "'But even then,' God says, "'my faithful love for you will remain. "'My covenant of blessing will never be broken,' "'says the Lord, who has mercy on you.'" God is telling the people of Israel that I am the unchanging God. I am always loving. I am always faithful. That does not mean that God doesn't punish his children for their sin. He disciplines those he loves, but he never falls out of love. He never changes in his relationship to his own people, to those he calls his own. You see, the psalmist takes that and makes it personal. And in chapter forty six, verses one through three we read, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea, if the worst should happen around us a pandemic, a tsunami, a hurricane, a tornado, loss of health, loss of income, let the oceans roar and foam, let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. And God Remains our our refuge and our strength, and He's always ready to help in times of trouble. What a, what an incredible message that we need to hear at a time like this. You see, change is inevitable, and it's unavoidable. You can't escape it. It's going to happen in your life and in my life and in our world. We're seeing it happen right now. Change is taking place, and yet our God is constantly consistent in who he is and how he relates to his creation. Charles Wesley wrote a hymn and part of the lyrics say this, and all things as they change, proclaim the Lord eternally the same. See, one of the things we can learn from our circumstances and our circumstances take place in creation in the midst of this temporal arena in which we live, as we see change, It should remind us about our unchanging God. See, we see the seasons change. We have four seasons. We have spring and summer and fall and winter, and they remind us of change, but they should also remind us of our unchanging God. And as we go through change, as we grow older, it reminds us that our God doesn't age. Our God doesn't change. Our God doesn't get tired. You see, change, all the change that takes place around us, proclaims that the Lord is eternally the same. He's consistent. He's constant. Do you know our God doesn't get tired? He doesn't grow weary when he rested on the seventh day of creation. It wasn't because he was tired. It, It was an emphasis on his work is complete. I have done everything I intended to do and he deemed it very good. See, he doesn't get tired. His wisdom doesn't diminish and it can increase. See, I can grow smarter by studying, by reading. Uh, During this time of quarantine, I've been trying to spend more and more time reading good books and, and reading the Bible. And if I watch anything on the TV, I'm trying to watch documentaries that will teach me things about history because I really don't need another Netflix movie. I don't need to watch mindless ribble on TV because it won't make me smarter. But see, God can increase in wisdom and he can't lose his wisdom. His holiness never changes. He remains constantly the same in regards to his holiness. His righteousness can never be tarnished. He can't become less righteous or more righteous. And his power never weakens. That's the kind of God you and I worship. And here's the key. His love never fails. And it doesn't matter what happens to you, what happens around you. He hasn't fallen out of love with you. Because his love never fails. See, change is unavoidable. It's inevitable. It's all around us. But listen to what A.W. Tozier says. For God to alter or change at all, to be different from himself, one of three things has to take place. Now, he's going to give us three statements that are very, very true. They were as true when he wrote these years ago as they are today. Three things have to take place if God can change. First, God must go from better to worse. In other words, if God can change and he is all good, he can't do anything but get worse. Or he must go from worse to better. In other words, God's not all good. God is not perfect in all his ways. And therefore, he can become better. Or third, he's got to change in his very nature. He must change from one kind of being to another. Now, just look at those three statements. If God can change, one of these three is the only option. It can't be all three, it can't be two of the three. It can only be one of the three. So can God go from better to worse? Well, obviously the answer is no. As created beings, which you and I are, we exist in an environment of constant change. That's been made perfectly clear. Our children change, we change, the environment changes, time is, is is a measurement of change. So we are in an environment that is under constant change. The seasons change, the weather changes. You know, here in Texas we say, you know, just just wait and the weather will change. It can go from 81 day to 40 the next. We can have hail one day and we can have bright sunny weather the next. The weather changes constantly. If you don't like it, just wait. Our circumstances change. Governments change constantly, sometimes for the better, oftentimes for the worse. And guess what? You and I are changing. We're always changing, sometimes for the better, but oftentimes for the worse. But God is the unchanging one. God never changes. Listen again to Psalm 102, verses 25 through Twenty-seven. Long ago, you laid the foundation of the earth, speaking of God, and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will change them like a garment and discard them. But you are always the same. You will live forever. You see, God is the uncreated one. God is the unchanging one. God has always been and forever will be. And everything we know, everything that we've become used to will one day be done away with. There will be a new heavens and a new earth, but our God remains the same. He remains forever. He is always the same. And that's something that you and I need to hear and remember as we go through these times of uncertainty. I want to read you another quote from Herman Bavinck. Listen to what he says. The doctrine of God's immutability is of the highest significance for religion. The contrast between being and becoming marks the difference between the creator, God, and the creature, you and I. Then he goes on and says, every creature, you and I, is continually becoming, becoming either better or worse. It is changeable constantly striving seeks rest and satisfaction and finds this rest in god ultimately we can only find it in god in him alone for only he is pure being and no becoming hence in scripture god is often called the rock now i love that line only he god is pure being and no becoming he's not becoming something better a new creature a new creation He's not going from worse to better, from less holy to more more holy, from less loving to more loving. He is constantly, consistently the same in his character, even though we're going through constant change. And so he reminds us that God in Scripture is often called the rock. Why? Because he's strong and powerful and reliable and trustworthy. As a matter of fact, I went back and just glanced through the Psalms and wrote down some of the the names or descriptions given to God that sound very familiar or similar to the rock. He's my strength in chapter 22. He's a refuge, a place of hiding in chapter 9. He is my hiding place in chapter 32. My defense, my high tower, our shield, our support, the stronghold of my life. And he's my fortress. I can run to him in times of trouble. See, this is our God. This is who we lean on, rely on, trust in. But you have to know that those things are true of him if you're going to lean on him. See, again, I love the psalmist and how he speaks of God. In chapter 118, verses 1 through 3, the psalmist says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. Now listen to how many descriptions David, who wrote this psalm, has of God in this one psalm. He says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield. The power that saves me and my place of safety. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise and he saved me from my enemies. What an amazing statement about God. You can tell that David knew and understood and trusted in God. And yet David went through many trials and difficult circumstances in his life. But he always went back to what he knew about his God. He's my rock. He's my strength. He's my fortress. My strong tower. And then God reminds you and I in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 through 11, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken, God says, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. What an incredible statement from God. It's something that you and I need to bring into our brain and get into our hearts so that we might survive and thrive during times of difficulty. He is God. There's no one else like him. Only he knows the beginning and the end, how it started and how it's going to end. He is the ancient of days. He knows things that have not yet taken place, things that we're oblivious to. He knows how this is all going to end. He knows whether there's going to be a vaccine developed for COVID-19. He knows exactly how many people will become sick with COVID. He knows how many people will die. God knows the end and he knows the beginning. And he's got a purpose behind everything. He has spoken and he will bring it to pass. That's our God. He alone is God. And again what did the psalmist say in chapter 46 of psalms he is our refuge he's our strength always ready to help us in times of trouble so we will not fear in times of trouble when the earthquakes come when the mountains crumble if the worst should happen we will not fear and then god says this to you and i what what an incredible promise be still in the midst of whatever it is you're going through be still and know that I am God. See, at the end of the day, that's God's desire for you. Be still and know that I am the Lord. Therefore, according to the author of Hebrews, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. You know, as we wrap this up, what I want to do is show you a video of a song that's come to mean a great deal to me over these last weeks. I was first exposed to it at a conference that I attended a couple of years ago, and we sang it. There were like 10,000 men in a room, and we sang this song together, and it made a lasting impact on me. And I want you to watch this video, and I've put the the words on the screen for you to follow along. And it speaks of Christ, our secure anchor, that we can rely on him. He is the anchor for our souls in times of trouble. He is strong, and he is trustworthy. Watch this video, and then we're going to come back, and I'll share with you the discussion questions for this week. the show. Well, I hope that ministered to you. And now I want to share with you the discussion questions that I'd love for you to talk about with your wife, with your kids, with your neighbors, with the guys who sit at your table. Get on the phone, call them up, talk about these, consider them, meditate on them, because they have great significance to this whole concept of the immunability of God. The first one is this. Why is it so important to know that we worship a God who never changes. How can that change the way we think about not only him, but about what we're going through right now? Secondly, when your circumstances change, what kinds of questions does it raise about God? Is he loving? Has he deserted me? Is he not all knowing? Did he get caught off guard? What kinds of questions, Does a change in your circumstance raise about your God? And then finally, why should the doctrine of God's immutability give us certitude in the midst of uncertainty? What is it about the unchanging nature of God that should give us hope, stability during these times of uncertainty? Well, Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this incredible doctrine. And I pray that as We discuss it with our friends, our family members, with our table mates, that you would drive home into our brains and into our hearts the reality that you are the unchanging one. You are reliable, trustworthy, the anchor for our souls, and we can rest in you. And I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You guys have a great week, and we will see you next week for chapter 3 in this series. Have a great day.